Today I'm going to do something I don't normally do, and that's sit down while I'm speaking. That should scare you a little bit. You ever been called to your boss's office or your parents' uh, living room and they say, you might want to take a seat. <laughs> you know, it's never a good thing when that's said. Um, today's one of those messages that's not going to be fun. Uh, we've talked about that already with James, but I think this is probably the, the biggest one. Um, but I want us to, as we, we think through this message today, remembering what the key theme verse for James is, and that's James chapter 2, verse 12. It won't be on the screen up here. Remember, James says, So speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. Remember, we are called to freedom in Christ. And we live a certain way because of that freedom. But there are certain aspects that when we get to the scriptures, it almost sounds like we're not free because of the things that the, the scripture writers and, and God through the scripture writers ask us to do. But remember, we're, we're living and speaking in that freedom. I also want us to remember a passage, you'll hear me say this a lot when I talk, by a gentleman named Robert McQuil- Robertson McQuilkin, who used to say, it's easier to go to a consistent extreme than to stay at the center of biblical tension. Because today, we're talking about everybody's favorite topic, Money. Um, you know, so it, it, um, I like God's sense of humor that he has me speak on money two days after Black Friday um, and a, a few weeks before everybody spends money for Christmas. So, uh, you know, I learned over the years in nonprofit ministry that February and June are your two lowest giving months. The reason for that is February, everybody realizes how much they actually spent on their credit cards in December, and now they have to pay those back. And then June, everybody's going on vacation. So uh, those are the times when the money is the shortest in nonprofit ministries. But, but nobody likes to talk about money. In the 15 years I've pastored in Texas, I maybe spoke on money four times. You know, and then people wouldn't come back to church. All he ever talks about is money. I thought, you ever been there? You know, I mean, I was like four times out of all these years. I spoke on money. So don't, next week, say, I'm not going back because he, all he ever talks about is money. Um, but we are going to talk about money today. Because as we look at the passage today, the, the little subtitle in my scripture says, warning to the rich. Now you're saying, well, see, it doesn't apply to me. Um, well, Amen. trust me. <laughs> trust me, rich is one of those uh, relative terms. You know, it's always, no one's rich and no one's poor. Someone is always richer than someone else and poorer than someone else. But it's rich and poor is kind of a, a neutral idea. But 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 says this. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare with many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil... And it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, this sounds negative. And as we look through the scriptures, there's all kinds of passages on money. If you look through Proverbs over and over again, it talks about how you deal with your finances. Jesus talked about how we deal with our finances. And James now is challenging us to think through this. Now, let's remember the context of what we're talking about. James was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. And there was a time when there was this whole discussion about 
whether the Gentiles needed to become Jews and then become Christians, where they had to be circumcised and all those things. And they had what was called the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. And in that time frame, they decided, you know what, we're not going to put any more burden on the Gentiles than, than what we have to re- require for ourselves. And so it's not a matter of becoming a Jew first and then becoming a Christian. It's following Christ. And Paul later on goes and meets with these guys, James and, and Peter and John, and they, they welcome him in because he's been called to the Gentiles. And so all this whole discussion about whether the Gentiles can be involved or not, finally it comes down to in Galatians chapter 2, Paul says this, they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Already in James chapter 1, he, he, he makes this comparison between those who are rich and those who are poor. In the end of James chapter 1, he talks about taking care of the widows and the orphans and, and, and making sure that we take care of those who are poor. And so now we come to James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. I'm just going to read it. It's not going to be on the screen, but I want you to listen to what he says. Again, this is not the most encouraging words you'll ever hear from James, even though everything's been kind of tough. Now he really gets to it, the meat of it. Um, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Sounds good, doesn't it? Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eating, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Boy, this is really fun. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, I wish I'd given this passage to to Brian, Um, but today you're going to have to listen to me. As we talk about our finances, I think the key that we'll see here in James as we look throughout Scripture as a whole, when we deal with any area of our life, but especially when it comes to our finances, we need to ask the question, who is the master of our money? Because as we deal with our finances, again, like I said, we we all think that we're poor compared to somebody else. I can look at a a 20-year-old kid playing professional baseball and winning the World Series, and I feel poor financially compared to what he made playing one baseball game. But I can go to other countries and realize how much I actually have. So again, it's, it's, a, it's a, a comparison thing as we look at it, but as we deal with our finances, we need to bring honor and glory to the Lord through the way we deal with our finances. But a lot of times we don't think of it that way. Our finances are our finances. You know, if we're, we're real generous, we may give 10% to the church, but even that we kind of do grudgingly because we're supposed to. And so we, we struggle with this whole thing all the time. I was talking this morning, I used to drive me crazy to see books by, and I'm not going to name their names, but guys that you know are Christian financial counselors. And they, they have this book on teaching you how to get out of credit card debt. It's 80 bucks for the book. And you call them to order it. And they say, would you like to put that on Visa or MasterCard? I'm going, I'm paying $80 for a book to get out of credit card debt. And you want me to put it on my credit card. 
I don't understand the concept here. How are you helping me? You're helping yourself get out of credit card debt. You're not necessarily helping me. Um, and so, you know, as we deal with this, it's always this, it's a tense subject. It's something we don't like to look at. But let's look at the passage here um, and, and just look at the joy that it brings. He says here, come now, you rich. Now, the idea here is pay attention. Pay attention, you who are rich, and this is what you need to do. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Now, is he saying because you're rich, life is going to be miserable for you? Because you're rich, you're going to be judged and and you're not going to... No, he's saying as we look at the passage, it's a matter of your attitude and your thought process in dealing with your riches. But when he says weep and howl, that, that word howl is actually... Onomatopoetic, you know what that, remember what that means? Remember the words like howl sounds like the word that it is? And he's saying, you know, just, it's that weeping. See, most of us, I I don't experience a whole lot of times where I weep. You know, I may cry, and I cry more now that I'm old than I used to. Uh, You know, commercials now do things to me they used to not do. But, but, you know, but I don't weep. You know, have you seen people weeping, right, where they're just wailing and they're, it's just agonizing to hear them. And that's what he's talking about here. Just weep and wail. Why? Because the temporariness of what you have. Because we think that we have all these nice things. But the reality is everything we own eventually is going to rot. And that's what he says here. He says your riches have rotted. The money you're setting aside goes away. You can't save it forever. He says your, your garments are moth-eaten. You know, they showed who they were and how rich they were by how they dressed. Yeah, I can remember several years ago, I was going to oversee the whole summer of short-term mission trips with Crossover in the Bahamas. And so, you didn't deal a whole lot down there with credit cards at that point in time. You had to have cash. And so, I'm, I'm getting enough cash for the whole summer. So I get $29,000 in cash that I've got to carry on my body to the Bahamas. And I remember walking out of the bank here in Columbia. You know, I go in real kind of nonchalant. Let's put this $29,000 in a bag that's not real obvious. And as I'm walking out, the, the cashier or, or teller hollers. I mean, I'm, I'm a good ways. I'm about Pablo's distance from the, the teller. She goes, man, you probably need a security guard with that kind of money. And I'm going, what are you doing? You know, I'm trying to be, but I remember when I carried it, you know, just dress as, as sloppy as you can, you know. I got money taped to this leg and money taped, you know, in case somebody, I can only give away a little bit if somebody robs me. But I don't want to look rich. I don't want to look like I'm carrying $29,000. But here the idea was the better you looked, the, the, you know, you were showing off your wealth by how you look. He said, you know what, that, those garments are moth-eaten. They're going to destroy. They're going to go away. And your gold and your silver have corroded. So it doesn't sound real promising if you're saving up your money. But it's really not even because these bad, these things are going to go away, that's the issue. Because the issue is whether you're poor or rich, your, rich, your money is going to eventually be corroded. It's going to go away. Your clothes are eventually going to rot. You know, there, you can't wear something forever. So it really is not a matter of 
whether you have nice stuff or not nice stuff, that's the same across the board. It's the attitude that comes with it. Because he says here, at the end of verse 3, you have laid up treasure in the last days. Now, why is that a bad thing? Why is it a bad thing to save up treasures for the last days? Is James saying it's terrible to have savings? For those of you who have savings accounts, you need to go back now and close them out? No. It's really in the word treasure that you need to deal with. It's not a matter of saying you, shouldn't, you should save or not save. Proverbs talks about saving money and being wise in your finances. But what he's saying here is, where's your treasure? In Matthew chapter 6, he says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. That's the issue. Because he goes on to say in verse 21, where your treasure is, there's your heart also. See, the people here in James, it's not a matter of that they have more money than somebody else. It's a matter of that that has become more important to them than everybody else. Because remember, the church at Jerusalem was an interesting situation. If you remember in Acts chapter 2, it says that they had all things in common. And in Acts chapter 5, it talks about that they brought their finances to, to the church to take care of people. Because what happened was, in Acts chapter 2, during what was called Pentecost, you had 3,000 people come to know Christ that day. Now these 3,000 people were visiting, a large percentage of them, were visiting Jerusalem from surrounding towns. Because they were there for Pentecost, I mean, they were there for the feast. So now, all of a sudden, you've got all these people who are away from home, they're all together. They're trying to learn what it means to follow Christ. And they're saying, you know what? We've got to be able to take care of these people. Everybody, it's like Wednesday night. Everybody bring food so we can take care of everybody. So he's saying here, he's, he's realizing now that people have decided that it's not a matter of what can I do to help somebody else. It's a matter of what can I hoard to myself. I want to lay up treasures for myself and not be willing to take care of someone else. So again, it's not a matter of money. I've got a friend that lives in Uzbekistan. He's about to move to Kazakhstan. Pretty wealthy guy, actually. And makes money just by thinking about it. But you know what he did? Instead of staying here in the United States and making a ton of money, he moved to Uzbekistan to train others how to make money so that they could have a livelihood, so that they could plant churches in Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan. So he's, he's a wealthy guy. He knows how to make money. So it's not the money's not the issue. It's not the wealth that's the issue. It's where your heart is. And so when we have money, do we get excited? I mean, we see it all the time. And I'm not saying yes or no whether you should buy lottery tickets. But... I can remember when the lottery first was voted in in Georgia. And this guy came out of the, the store one morning. I didn't know him, but he was so excited. I said, what are you excited about? I won $10. I said, that's great. How many tickets did you buy this morning? 20. 
I started thinking, okay, you spent $20 to win 10 You know, you do realize you didn't win in this game, right? But he was excited because he had won $10. Now, granted, he was going to spend that 20 whether he won the 10 or not. So at least he got half back. But, but you know, we get excited because we're going to win this big amount of money. You know, the publisher's clearing house. I remember my mom filled those things out. Good grief, man. We, she would fill them out. She just knew she was going to win the lottery, you know. And she died just as poor as she was before she filled those things out. Um, you know, so it's a matter of where your heart is. So really what he's saying here, these people are doing something that's in a direct violation of Jesus' command. So that's, that's scary. Then he goes to verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of harvest. He says, the people who worked for you, you're rich because you never paid them. You say, well, that sounds pretty bad even in today's society, right? Well, it's real bad because what does it say in Deuteronomy? You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. You say, well, that's just one passage. Wait, okay, let's look at Leviticus. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Okay, but that's Old Testament law. Okay, let's look at the prophets. Jeremiah. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages. And then the best one, let's look at Malachi chapter 3. Or if you're uh, Italian, Malachi. But Malachi chapter 3. Then I will draw near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, wait, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So those who don't pay their workers are counted with the sorcerers and the adulterers. So James is saying because not only do you have money, you made that money by defrauding others. People who work for you, you have not paid them like you should. That's why you have this money. That's why judgment will come. So then verses 5 and 6. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. See, what we need to understand here is, let's look at the, the positive end of this. Let's look on the other side. Is that God will bless those who bless others. Stuart Briscoe says this, God never blesses you or teaches you solely for your own benefit. God has not blessed you with finances solely so you can live a life of luxury. Does that mean you can't have nice stuff? No. 
But where is your heart in all of this? What's the most important thing to you? And I say you. You know what I'm saying when I say that. It's us. What's the most important thing to us? Is it having a bunch of stuff? Or is it sharing with others and ministering to others? And being able to, to bless others because God has blessed us. So let's, let's think through some, some issues. What this is really saying to us? First thing is, it's not wealth itself that is condemned, but the greedy attitude toward it and the grisly actions with which it is obtained. He's not saying money is bad. Greed is bad. Making money for yourself is bad. Making money to hoard it and to treat others poorly is bad. Now, am I saying tomorrow you need to go out and give all your money away to the homeless? No. You need to be wise when you're dealing with the homeless. Jesus says, be wise as serpent, but as gentle as doves. But I think the issue here is the heart attitude. Do we walk by that homeless person and go, well, if they just get a job, they wouldn't be this way. I've met guys on the street who had PhDs and were professors in a university but something happened in their life they had a car accident or something that caused pain which caused them to get addicted to medication which caused them to lose their job which caused them to lose their family which caused them to lose their house and now they're on the streets not that they don't want to have a job life just got bad for them Do I walk by them and in my greed go, well, I ain't, I ain't helping them out. Should have known better. Or let's hit a little bit more at home. Maybe it's not the homeless person because maybe we don't come across homeless people a lot. Maybe it's another need that comes into play and we see it in our neighborhood, in our family, but we refuse to participate because it may mean I have to give something up. We have to be careful. We need to also realize that our selfish usage of our finances will be judged. Now that doesn't mean we're going to be judged salvation-wise. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're secure in that relationship. But it does mean that your actions will be judged. He says here that you need to realize that it's going to bring misery on you eventually. That brings us to our third point. Remember Ananias and Sapphira. Anybody heard those names before? In Acts chapter 5, several people were selling property and bringing the money to help with the, the church in Jerusalem. They were struggling. They needed the finances. And so Barnabas came. He sold everything he had. He gave it to the church. And Ananias and Sapphira decide, we're going to sell everything we have and give a portion to the church. That's fine. Nobody said you had to give it all. But when they came and they presented the portion, they presented it as if they were giving all. Boy, isn't it nice of us? We sold all this. Look what we did. And Peter said, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And they dropped dead. Their actions brought judgment because of their greed. 
Did they have to give it all? No, they didn't. But it was the hard attitude, remember? It's not a matter of, do you give everything or do you, know, or do you make money? It's the heart attitude. Fourth thing is, a believer who seeks spiritual growth dare not become caught up in the accumulation of wealth for himself. It's not a matter of the accumulation of wealth. It's the accumulation of wealth for yourself. Again, is it bad to save money? Well, those of you who have kids, you better start saving now. When I was in college, it was $1,200 a semester. Now it's $18,000 a semester. By the time your kids, if they're in their below 10 years old, they get to be college students, they can't tell them what it's going to be. Is it wrong to save money to help pay for college? No. But the issue is, going back to the hard attitude, are you saving it up for yourself so you can hoard it? Are you saving it up so that you can bless others? And then lastly, Christians should share their possessions for God's glory and the good of others. God blesses us and teaches us for we can bless and teach others. Now again, it doesn't mean that we give away everything we own and we make ourselves poor. When Judy and I first met, I was terrible with finances. I'm still not good with finances. But if I had $10 to last me for the rest of the month and somebody said, you have $10 I can have? Okay, here. You know, and Judy's going, well, you know, it's okay to give, but when you give and then you don't have any money, you know. So I thought I was being real generous when I was really being stupid. You know, so there's, there's a difference. You know, you give a portion of it. But so it's that idea, though, still, it comes down to what is the heart attitude towards your finances? Because if it's really in the wrong place, now's a bad time for you. Because every commercial on television, everything that pops up on your feed in Facebook is trying to sell you something. And, you know, it's a great deal. It's regularly $1,000. And this week, it's only $950. It's Black Friday. You save 50 bucks. You better buy it now. You know, and I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying don't buy stuff. I'm not saying tell your kids, well, we're not having Christmas because Wade said we can't buy anything for ourselves. (laughs) You know, don't blame me because you don't want to buy your kids something for Christmas. Um, you know, you've been bad, so we're not getting anything. Um, you know, so, but the issue is, again, the hard attitude. So when we think about it today, I want us to do three things. I want us to search our heart concerning our attitude towards our finances. Because it can be either way. It can be I have a lot and I'm greedy or I have nothing and I'm envious. It's still a bad heart attitude. You know, I've, I've, I've even made this statement, and I've heard other people make it. You know, well, that guy played a terrible football game Sunday. Yeah, but he made a lot of money doing it. So it makes it okay. <laughs> makes it okay that he didn't play to his heart out because he made a lot of money. You know, no, check, check your heart attitude. Realize that it's A commitment to who Christ is and what he's done and serving him. And therefore, he's given us money to deal with. That's how we survive in life. 
If you don't have money, you're not going to make it. But the issue is the heart attitude. Secondly, I want us to re-examine how we use our finances. It's real easy now. And I'll be honest, I'll confess my sin. A new book comes out, and I love to read, and I go, wow, I'm in the middle of ten books right now. One more ain't going to hurt. Let me buy this one. You know, I can read at some point in time. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an obsession, I'll admit. Books are an obsession. And I have to fight myself on it. But again, I have to re-examine my, my use of my finances. Do I have that $20 to pay for a book? God teased Judy when we first got married. She, she wouldn't let me have cash. I was a Bible college student, and I'd go to school. I'd have $20 in my pocket. I'd get home, she'd go, how much cash you got left? None. What'd you do with it? I don't remember. I know I ate something at some point in time today. I probably bought a book. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. So it was better for me not to have cash. And at that time, you didn't have debit cards. So if I didn't have cash, I couldn't spend anything. So that was a good thing. Um, you know, so she was, she was the wise one, has always been the wise one in our finances. But re-examine how you use them. And then lastly, commit your finances to the Lord. Because it can be an idol for us. Our money can become so important to us that we do just like the people here in James. We treat people terribly because of our finances. Because we want more than we can have. And so therefore we don't, we defraud people. You say, well, I don't hire anybody and have to pay them and, and refuse to keep their money back. But there's other times when we defraud in other ways. So James is saying, remember, so speak and so act as those who will be judged under the law of liberty. God has given us freedom. And in that freedom, he gives us finances. And he gives us the freedom to abuse those finances if we do. He doesn't say, if you abuse it, I'm snatching it back. If that were true, there'd be a lot of people who wouldn't have anything. He's saying, I'm trusting you in the law of freedom and liberty to handle these finances that I give to you in a way that brings me honor and glory and blesses others. What are you going to do with it? And what's our heart attitude when he gives it to us? Wow. I can get, I got more. Isn't this great? Or how can I use this to bless others? Let's pray.